Wake up. Alicia Bell is the founder of BLXVC, an angel syndicate of moms mobilizing money for black and brown women entrepreneurs. She's the deal flow lead for Pipeline Angels, a network of women and femmes. Alicia also advises the PayPal Ventures Black Lives Matter Fund and serves on the board for Black Girl Ventures. For more details, go to www.leishabell.com. I'm Jill Johnson, co-founder and CEO of the Institute for Entrepreneurial Leadership. Well, who am I? I'm a mother, I'm a wife, and I should say mother of four sons, so that does certainly shape my perspective about a lot of things. I'm an eternal optimist. I believe in the possibilities, and I have to say that thinking came from my dad. I believe that Anything is possible if we actually want to find solutions. It's unfortunate that there's so many things out there that seems like we just don't care. I care, and I feel like one of my jobs in life is to leave the world a little bit better, but also to try to get other people to also see the greatness in themselves and how they can make a difference with their time on Earth. That's who I am. Hello, and welcome to Sisters with Ventures, the podcast where we amplify black and brown women who are angel investors. On this show, we will explore what is angel investing, how to become one, and why would you want to be one? We will discuss how the most marginalized women persevered to the very top of the investing spectrum. Whether you're making money moves or barely making money, listen up. I'm your host, Lee Chabelle, co-founder of BLXVC, an angel syndicate run by Black and Latinx women who are on a mission to represent ourselves and claim our seats on cap tables. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome with Sisters with Ventures, the podcast where we amplify BIPOC women in angel investing, and we discover their journeys. So today I have a very special guest with me. Her name is Jill Johnson. And Jill and I met because I was cyber stalking her, honestly. She's a prolific writer. She's an advocate about getting Black angels into venture capital. She's one of Harvard's finest. She's unapologetic about what she says, and she means it. Besides that, she's doing all this while mothering four Black men, young boys, and a good wife. And she is founder and CEO of her own organization where she supports Black entrepreneurs. She also is powering Black angels. And so that's really what we want to cover today. I think Jill hits all parts of the ecosystem. And she's definitely one of my heroes. And I'm just so happy to know her. Jill, welcome to the show. Lisa, thanks so much for having me here. I'm going to have to take you with me everywhere to do that. <laughs> I could be your personal high woman say, anytime you need. What she said, what she said. <laughs> so Jill, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background and your story 
And this was like, where'd you come from? You know, like, how are you positioned into this world? Well, so you know what? I'm going to just share with you and don't tell anybody else. I'm actually a Midwestern girl born in Iowa. And that is is a little known fact. But yes, I was born in Iowa. I am from the Midwest. So I have kind of that combination of the East Coast sort of hustle, but the Midwest, you know, laid back a little bit. Right. So my parents are from the Midwest. They somehow, and don't really know how, made their way out of the Midwest. And they ended up starting a business. You know, fast forward to the part where they started a business. They were young. They always kind of hustled and, you know, made things happen for themselves. But at a point, they started a business. And Leisha, I have to say, that is really where my journey with all of this work starts. Because from a very early age, I was able to see the... I'll just characterize it as the dark side of owning a business, right? A lot of people glamorize it, but, <laughs> you know, I was there when they were struggling with cash flow, payroll, customers paying late, different things like that. They had a newspaper publishing business. So that's where my journey with all of this work really starts. Mm. So I am also a daughter of an entrepreneur and got to watch firsthand that hustle. What drove you about their experience that you wanted to emulate or that you wanted to change? It really was the issues around access to capital. Because not only did they struggle with that, but they would have these workshops and seminars with one of their publications, the Minority Business Journal. So again, Leisha, I grew up in a world where I was hearing these conversations and Black business owners that have been in business for like 20 years, like people who had been in business for a long time and they were multi-million dollar companies still could not get a loan. Still, we're talking about issues of access to capital. And then I had the opportunity when I graduated from college to start my career in the investment banking financial analyst program at Goldman Sachs and mergers and acquisitions. Well, Alicia, you know, that was a completely different world, right? Where Folks, their money, <laughs> money is not the issue, right? No, and it's so not. Seeing that, my mind was blown. It was like, well, wait a second. This is a completely different world from anything right. I have known. <laughs> and so those experiences brought together really, I think, set my course, even though I didn't know it at the time. That was setting the foundation for my path to do this work. Yeah, let's talk about that. Um, What some may call ultra high net worth individuals or in B-School, we call the HPM high powered money, the money that actually moves the markets and seeing that type of wealth. And then looking back within our communities and (laughs) saying, what went wrong? What happened here? Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, Leisha, I think you don't know that it exists. I'll say again, coming from the communities where most of the people who look like us start, you don't even know that that type of wealth exists, right? You don't even get it. And, you know, I did have the good fortune of attending a mix of public and private school. So I got a little bit of a taste in some of the private school environments. But when I went to Harvard, and then when I was at Goldman Sachs, and you know, just attending dinners, right? Closing dinners for deals and the amount 
that was spent was kind of like, wait a second, like a dinner can cost this much money? What? (laughs) People are taking around private cars and all this kind of stuff. That is just a different world. And we often, again, just don't realize it's hard for us to fathom and think about that level of wealth because most of us just never touch it. Right, right. Well, one of the challenges, particularly in angel investing, is that you have to be an accredited investor, which means you have a significant net worth and you have to sustain the net worth. <laughs> like you have to keep it. And for many of us, that is a very fickle position well, to sustain. Yeah, of course. I mean, think about it. Many of us, if, when you get to that level, you're kind of like just eking over that line. And then oftentimes many of us are helping out relatives or helping out, you know, you're paying loans. I mean, when I graduated from college, I had, uh, and now remember this was back when, not going to say how long back when, but it was back when. Two years ago, two years ago. I still had a $300 loan payment for college, for undergrad. And that was again, way back. So I couldn't go and just do something where I wasn't getting paid and, you know, my parents are just going (laughs) to foot the bill and take care of it. You know, that just doesn't exist for many of us. So it's just a different world. Yeah. Yeah. I know even for myself, when I became an accredited investor, I was like, oh, good. I could start doing some angel investing. I got pregnant and I didn't work for six months after having a baby. And like I was kicked back out, you know, like it's so fickle. You know, it's such a delicate line to say, oh, I got to come back. But also the maternal, yeah, you know, kind of issues that we have to deal with not getting compensated for your income. If you're a high income earner, you know, you're not getting compensated for those losses. You just take losses, you know. Yeah. But the children are the joy, right? That's our they? benefit. That's the wealth that we have. And <laughs> right. Yes. I love it I is. love my children for sure. They are the most amazing children. However, you know, when I look at the amount of time that I was I never really was out of the workforce because I was doing my own thing, but men are able to continue working and have a family and continue their earnings, etc. Women are often, you know, we're choosing, we're self-selecting even as far as for me with right. Goldman, I took myself off of that path because I didn't see how I could do that and actually have the family that I wanted to have. And when I think about (laughs) the opportunity cost of that, it's like, oh, yeah, my children better, you know, (laughs) be amazing children. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, and that's the deficit in the labor workforce today. I mean, we lost 40% of women just during COVID alone who had to take care of home responsibilities. And we think about what is lost. And I love your story because you pivoted, you know, and said, okay, Goldman, I can't do this, but I'm still going to make a significant contribution. I would love for you to talk about what that birth in you, besides your four boys that you were birthing. (laughs) Yeah. You know, when I say that I never really left the workforce, even during the time when I was having kids and it seemed like it was every other year that they were coming (laughs) But I was writing business plans for dot-coms at one point that were raising money during the dot-com boom. So again, Leisha, that was an opportunity to see who was able to raise capital and who had difficulty raising capital. 
then fast forward, it was when my parents decided to retire from the newspaper and, you know, turn to the next chapter. My father and I came together and started the Institute for Entrepreneurial Leadership to be a resource, essentially, that my father said he wishes he had had to be the support that they didn't have as they were going through their journey. I started that. It's been a long journey there. And, you know, that's a whole nother episode to talk about that. But we have struggled with the same issues that a lot of women and people of color struggle with in terms of getting funding, getting resources and all of that, despite the great work that we have done, the businesses that we have supported and the thought leadership that we are developing. Yeah. Can we talk about all the work that we're doing and not getting credit for, you know, because this is a personal, (laughs) personal pet peeve of mine is that you know, we have been building businesses this whole time. And maybe it's not the most visible part of the business. Maybe it's not, we're not in the front seat or in the front row of the business, but we have been orchestrating. And, you know, the thing I love about angel entrepreneurship is like getting equity and getting credit for your work is so important. I don't know if you have any examples you want to share of that. Well, <laughs> It would be hard for me to share stories that I would want to share without outing folks. And I don't want to go. Allegedly, allegedly, (laughs) fictitious names. But, you know, I have been in situations, Leisha, with all of the very, very positive things that you mentioned during my intro. And I'm very appreciative of the intro that you did give. Um, You know, it has taken me a long time to actually have confidence. And to have that, like, you know what, I got something going on and my voice deserves to be heard. And the things that I'm saying are not things that everybody already knows. And I'm bringing a unique perspective to the table. Maybe about four or five years ago or so, I actually had someone tell me or say about us and our work that we were all smoke and mirrors. And basically, it was an entire situation that caused me to question my leadership abilities, the way I was thinking about things, et cetera, and put me in a situation where I was saying, or I I felt like I was in a situation of begging people to be accepted. And this is something, Leisha, that I think so many women struggle with. I think many women of color especially struggle with this. And, you know, we have to be willing to step into our greatness and we have to just take that approach that we owe it to the world. Because if I don't step into my greatness in this particular situation, and maybe fewer people are getting introduced to angel investing, maybe fewer people are having that opportunity to build wealth through angel investing and getting involved in the investor ecosystem. Maybe that's fewer businesses owned by Black people that are getting funding through the angel network. And so, you know, I think in some ways, many of us, and this is how I try to process this, I need to not be selfish with the gifts that I have been given. I need to do my thing, get out there. And it's not about me. It is about what I can present and offer into the world. Right, right. I love that. I love that. We definitely need to be encouraged to say it. And I know when I saw and witnessed you say a few things, I was like, I don't need to be afraid. 
because Jill's out here <laughs> shed bullet speech, preaching the truth, and people are listening and receptive. And I think it needs to be said. So it took a long. I, time I value that, there, though, Leisha. It took it took a long time to get there. Well, this, this Jill that I met is on fire. Okay, I don't know the Jill that you were before. <laughs> the one I know now, definitely amazing. Let's talk about angel investing. You have an amazing network um, called Making Black Angels. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, yes. The Making of Black Angels. That is my baby and where I hit my stride, actually. It was really this concept. And Lisa, you know, this comes from just being reflective and thinking back on how I've gotten kind of from one point to the other and the people in my life who have helped me. And kind of when I was in a valley, the people that I reached out to and people, white men, you know, all different types of folks who I turned to who were able to help me, right? That is really the basis of people getting access to any kind of resources, including capital. It's when you have relationships. And what I realized is that my relationships were a function of my different experiences and my journey. So many folks don't have that, right? I realize I have been very blessed in that sense, but not everyone has that. So if you haven't, you don't have that connectivity. I realized how that spills over into the investment world and people who are getting this early capital, they're often getting it through their networks, people that they know, people who know them, people who can vouch for them. That's how it works. And unfortunately, Black folks have not been participating in that. So that was the motivation for starting the making of Black angels. It was to say, hey, let's get more Black people into this as an asset class, as a way of building wealth, and as a way of Black entrepreneurs being able to get into the angel networks. We're not just advocating for Black people to just invest in Black businesses. We're really advocating for broader inclusion period in the investor ecosystem. Great. I love that. Can you talk about the psychology behind writing these checks? Because like you said, we haven't been participating. And, you know, honestly, a lot of people are scared. (laughs) Rightfully so. Rightfully so. You know, again, you put it well when you said, you know, you can kind of be in it and then next thing something happens and, you know, the funds are a little low, the wealth dips because you had to, you know, something happened with some assets. It's scary because for most of us, whatever you have, you had to grind for that, right? You know how long it took you to work, how many hours, how many planes you had to get on. (laughs) You know, we had to grind for what we have. And there is often not inherited wealth. If you inherit something, you value it, I'm sure. But there's a level of, eh, you know, this is, I can take a little bit of this and what kind of found money. I can take a little bit of this and put it here and put it there. And I can take more risks because I have a safety net. If you don't have a right. safety net that if the bottom falls out, yeah, you're going to be hesitant to just write out checks because this is money, as you know, that could just go poof up in smoke and you have nothing. I mean, most of them are, that's what's going to happen. So yeah, it's scary. Ask me how fast I can spend a lot of money. Ask me how fast. 
can go. <laughs> no, but if you, you know, look at investing from a much broader perspective in this angel space that one, yeah, you could hit it really big, right? And those are the kind of bets that you're taking. Two, that you are taking this money that, you know, maybe you would have taken an additional vacation. Maybe you would have, you know, purchased a few more handbags, some more shoes, <laughs> you know, some things like that. And you're saying, you know, I'm going to take those things and I'm going to take this amount of money and invest. Now, I think what's interesting is there are a lot of people who do think that you have to be investing millions of dollars. And it was eye-opening to me to see that there are angel investors and people that participate in some of the groups where they're putting in 5,000 into different deals. Right. They're investing as a group. So they're doing, you know, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000. And so I think that there is a place for more people than what many people think. Yeah, I think that's a great point to make. Let's talk about WOCON. It's coming up. Yeah. And this is an amazing summit that you put together. What What is WOCON? Tell us all about it. Yes. So WOCON is Women of Color Connecting Summit. And it is a summit. It's not a conference. It's a summit because it's about thought leadership coming together to have really insightful, intentional conversation to pull some band-aids off and, you know, pull off the scabs of some things and really have conversations that need to be had, but also to talk about solutions. And the focus is on bringing together the allies, the investors, the champions, all the people who talk about DEI, people who say, oh, diversity is so important, inclusion matters, all of that. Well, this is your opportunity to do something. For us, it's not enough just to talk about it. We need to be about it and we need to do something. So this summit event brings those folks together with amazing women of color entrepreneurs to create those relationships, to create really in a place where organic relationships can form, germinate and grow. So that's what it's all about. It's virtual this year, March, actually for the second year, it's March 8th through the 10th. It's a few hours each of those days. It's invitation only, but we are very excited and happy to offer anyone who is part of your network and who is listening to this an invitation to join us. That, that would be great. As our last guest said, Dr. White, she said, what's wrong with your representation? So if you are sitting in these companies and you're not seeing representation and wondering why, this is a great summit that can help you challenge how you're structuring deals. Who's your LPs? Who's your GPs? Who's in your network? Who's in your C-suites? Who, you know, like all these things matter. Like venture is definitely an ecosystem play. And without the ecosystem. Lisa, let's bottom line it though, right? Many of the people who talk about that being so important, they don't even know any people in their personal networks who are not like them. You cannot in right. your professional life talk about being about DEI, but in your personal life, it's closed and you don't know anyone to even have conversations about DEI issues on a real level. So right. we're trying to encourage people to just start with just meeting people who don't look like you. Exactly. And I love that. Let's bottom line it. And if, if you are that person who needs a Black woman friend in your life, okay, we're here for you to help you understand why this is important. That's so, right. 
This has been an amazing conversation. We'd love to ask everyone on the show, what would you tell your younger self? What would I tell my younger self? I would tell my younger self to be fearless. And I think it's easier said than done to act in that way, but really to be fearless because at the end of the day, fear just holds you back. And there's no way you can step into your greatness with fear. And so, yep. I think it's all about being fearless, being unapologetic, and doing you, doing what works for you. I love that. Um, Jill, how can our listeners follow your work? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we are Eiffel through all of our social media, W-E-A-R-E-I-F-E-L. We are Eiffel. We also have our Women of Color Connecting page that's Wocon, W-O-C-C-O-N dot O-R-G, Wocon dot org. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Miss, thank you for Mrs. having Jill Johnson. I know. I'm so glad that we got to have this little chat and you got to inspire and light some fire around us in our investing journeys. We are so honored to have you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Again, thank you. And I say to everyone, just give it a try. Give it a try, please. <laughs> Take care. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show. Please subscribe, tell a friend, check us out, let the world know. You can find out more information about this podcast at LeeChabelle.com. And remember, be an angel, invest.